0: Hello, and thank you for joining Fisher and Phillips Wage and Hour podcast. This is a podcast that explores questions and ideas associated with employers' desire to pay employees properly. I am Haygood Ty, and I am co-chair of the firm's Wage and Hour practice group. Uh, Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with three of my uh, Fisher and Phillips colleagues, Jennifer Scully from our Boston office, Megan James from Fort Lauderdale, and Michelle Anderson, who claims two offices, both Tampa and in um, New Orleans. And all three of these lawyers are very active in Fisher and Phillips' wage and hour practice group, and so I'm delighted to have them here with us today. Um, our topic today is what you as an employer should do when the Department of Labor comes knocking. And th- this is a question that we often get uh, many times, it's a little late when we get the call. Uh, clients will call us and say, I've got a meeting to close out an investigation with the Department of Labor today, what would you suggest? Um, and, and my suggestion to all of you listening is, call us well before that event comes along uh, for some of the reasons that we'll probably be talking about today. So the first question that I've got is let's let's back up so we're not there at the end. What should an employer do when they're notified of a Department of Labor investigation? Jennifer, can you help us out there?
1: Thanks, Haygood. Um, so the first step that we recommend employers take is to retain counsel, as you mentioned. Retain counsel, someone with wage and hour experience. We strongly recommend involving that person early so that they can help you assess risk and organize your documents before turning them over to the Department of Labor. At this early stage, we also recommend you assess whether your attorney is kind of on the side as a ghostwriter or serving as the front point of contact for the DOL investigator. As a second step, we recommend employers start gathering the information requested by the investigator. Start with your payroll and timekeeping data and and try to look at the two years prior to the notice. Um, to get organized, because that's likely the scope of the request that's coming from the investigator. Next, we recommend employers try to move the opening conference date. Um, The DOL often gives employers less than a week's notice, so we recommend employers push back. Try to give yourself some time to get your documents organized and prepare a strategy with your counsel. As a fourth step, we recommend you prepare for a worksite tour. So make sure your federal and state wage and hour posters are up, that employees can see them, Um, Speak with your first point of contact in the office. So if a DOL investigator shows up, who's going to speak with them? Does this person know how to handle that situation? Kind of guide them to make sure that they're not directing a DOL investigator straight into the facility or turning documents over without any help. Um, And also work with managers to make sure that there's an understanding of the messaging. So if an investigator does show up, um, employees have a sense that the company is going to cooperate, but you know, speaking with the investigator is completely voluntary. Um, as a sixth, fifth step, excuse me, um, we recommend you plan to attend the opening conference with the investigator and your client. Um, so, and your counsel, excuse me, after after you've reviewed the documents and kind of organized yourselves and stamped everything for confidentiality, um, plan to plan to attend that opening conference with your attorney and start working cooperatively but assertively with the investigator. Back to Great. you, good.
0: Thank you very much. That's great advice. In fact, I was recently involved with a wage and hour investigation where where the lead person from the company did not attend the opening conference, and that sort of started things off on a not the most positive tone. So good advice there. So Megan, what are, what are some of the areas of compliance that the Department of Labor investigates? I know that when I have clients call me early on when they've gotten this notice, they'll say, what are they gonna be looking at? What do I need to be worried about? So give us some insight into that.
2: Yeah, so as you know, it's kind of a loaded question. There's a whole lot of things you should be looking for in those documents that Jennifer said you should be gathering in advance. Um, From the biggest picture possible, you wanna consider classifications. And by that, I mean, do you have employees who are classified as exempt from overtime, but who actually should be paid overtime and should be tracking their hours? Do you have employees who are classified as 1099 contractors and who really are employees and therefore fall within the overtime minimum wage requirements of the FLSA? And talking a little bit more about exempt versus non-exempt. So a lot of employers come to us and say, oh, well, everyone's paid on a salary. So we haven't been paying overtime and we're not tracking hours. And we. Totally understand why you think that. There are several exemptions that have a salary basis to them. So I'm sure you've heard over and over, 684 a week is the minimum salary to be exempt. The problem is that's not where the law stops. So each of those exemptions that have a salary basis also have other duties and requirements to meet. So just because you're paying so long a salary, you want to look at each job and each person to make sure they're actually fulfilling the entire exemption classification. For non-exempt, you're looking at things as, are you keeping your time records properly? And are you keeping three years worth of punch in, punch out hours per day, not just hours per week or pay period? Are you properly defining your work week? Are you counting over time from Monday to Sunday or from how properly defined in your handbook? You can choose, you choose to do it consistently from week to week. Uh, along those same lines, you're looking at, are people receiving the minimum wage. So we see this a lot with the tip credit People may be saying, oh, they're getting minimum wage, but they're doing it based off the TIP credit minimum wage, not the actual minimum wage for for the state um, or federal, depending on whichever is higher. And then you also see a lot of issues with regular rate calculations and deductions. So with regular rate, you're looking to see if there were bonuses or other surplus pay that is being calculated into the regular rate if required, which then increases the overtime amount if it's not being done properly. And also with deductions, you know, things that you do for the benefit of an employer, uh, people are quick to say, oh, we'll just take that out of the employee's pay. Well, there are only certain deductions that can come out of the employee's pay or not, and they should not be taking that employee below minimum wage or from their overtime. That's just generally what we're seeing a lot of compliance focused on. And when we get those pay records, that's what we're looking for immediately.
0: Well, great. Well, thank you so much. Now, Michelle, you know, I know you and I and, and probably all four of us spend a lot of our time trying to avoid problems. So for employers that are listening today, what, what should they do now before the uh, investigator comes knocking on their door?
3: Well, this is one of those areas where preventative work is really key because you either paid these people correctly under the law, or you didn't and you either have the records or you don't. And unfortunately, by the time the Department of Labor gets there, because they can look back up to three years but are usually looking back at a two year period, the information is either there or it's not there. And so you really don't want the time when the Department of Labor is sitting there evaluating your records and information to now be telling you that you have a problem because the fact that a business says, oh, I didn't know any better, or this is what we do in the industry, this is common practice, none of that is going to be a defense to the fact that you have a back wage problem. And of course, if you have a back wage problem, you might also be assessed liquidated damages, which means that for every dollar of back wages you owe, you may owe an additional dollar. So it's important to know, what do your records show? The, one of the big problems I find is that We're asked to produce up to two years, sometimes three years of records. And look, if you're a federal contractor, they might even be going back to five or six years uh, for federal contractors. And so we're asked to produce all of these records. And I've heard things from we've changed systems, we had a flood, we had, a fi- we had all of these things, or it's with this payroll provider and then this payroll provider. You've got to know where your payroll and timekeeping records are. You've gotta be able to put your hands on them quickly. They've gotta be accurate uh, and truthful. And we need to be able to have that information upfront. Uh, you need to make sure that you're compliant, as Megan said, with exemptions, deductions, Um, regular rate issues, you need to know that, because by the time the Department of Labor gets there, you have a very finite period of time to produce records, could be as little as 72 hours, and that opening conference may happen within one week of you being notified, Uh, and so you've got to know. Uh, We can help you fix those things, from the point that you fix it going forward is one less day of liability. So get us involved on the front end so you don't have a problem on the back end.
0: Well, great, Michelle, and it really sounds like from what you're saying that employers really might ought to give some fault to conducting their own internal self-audit now, perhaps with their counsel, to see what sort of corrections need to be made today to avoid a problem when the Department of Labor comes knocking. And as you pointed out, With the threat of liquidated damages becoming more real under this administration, that should provide even more incentive for employers to get it right on the front end.
3: Exactly. And I will say from my experience, I find that often it is not an intentional thing that employers did to pay incorrectly or classify somebody incorrectly. It really came from a place of not understanding. And we have ways to correct those things and make it right going forward. And many of the businesses that work with us, that's what they want. They want to retain good employees and treat them well.
0: Well, thank all three of you for your insights today. For those of you listening, if you've got additional questions, please feel free to follow up with any of these three attorneys who can answer your questions regarding what to do to prepare for an investigation or what you should do once the Department of Labor comes knocking. If you've got other questions, please see fisherphillips.com where we have a wage and hour page. We hope that you have a wonderful day and thank you for participating.
2: This podcast provides an overview of a specific developing situation. It is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal advice for any particular fact situation.